Turn again in God's Word to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin reading at verse 16, and we will read through the fifth verse of chapter 6. Galatians 5, beginning to read at 16 through chapter 6, verse 5. Hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you of that we can um, continually read it and continually enjoy it. We pray that you will be a pastor vibe this morning now as you proclaim your gospel, that we may hear it, that you will give him the clarity of mind, the clarity of your mind, that he may preach to us, that we may hear his word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I invite you once again, if you missed uh, last Lord's Day's messages in the morning and evening, we were back uh, dealing with verses 16, 17, and 18 primarily, uh, dealing with the struggle uh, of the desires of the flesh as compared to those that are the desires of the Spirit, um, that very real conflict in the heart of every believer. We need to be reminded that each of us does indeed engage in that battle to some degree or another. If we don't 
think we have that battle raging within us, then we're denying the truth of Scripture. The Apostle John tells us uh, in, in uh, his epistles the fact that if we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Sin that shows itself even in our lives as Christians, whether it's in thought, word, or deed, uh, is evidence of the fact that there is that very real battle going on. It's not that we are converted and then become perfect and we live sinless lives. John is saying to us and reminding us that we are sinful people and we need to confess that reality. But God also provides a means by which we might know and understand victory over sin and over the desires of the flesh. Today, we, we take two messages again this morning uh, to look at what Paul means by the desires of the flesh. What are these works? Well, what, it, what is Paul telling us as he communicates this list to us? And then this evening, perhaps on a, on a much more positive note, uh, we can and will spend the time dealing with the fruit of the Spirit so the, the two types of life, the struggle that is within us, that which is waging war within the heart of the Christian now becomes not just the, the theoretical in terms of the theology of it, but now becomes, the, in a sense, the practical, the application of it. Paul, how, does the, how do the desires of the flesh evidence themselves? And how do the desires of the Spirit evidence themselves. What is it that we are to look for? Jesus told us and reminded us that by a, the fruit of the tree, we shall know that, that if we examine life, and we're not called here to examine other people's lives, we are called here to look at our own life, at our own heart. That's what Paul is going in that sixth chapter, and that's why we read into that that there needs to be some introspection here, not finger-pointing at someone else and observing their works of the flesh, but seeing our own and dealing with our own and taking that honest evaluation so that we too can repent, that we too can turn to Christ, that we too might enjoy the victory that Christ has indeed given to us upon the cross in this regard. So we want to look at three things in regards to these uh, works of the flesh. First of all, the list that Paul provides. Secondly, the warning that Paul gives. And then there is the phrase or simply the word, the those. The those. Not all, but the those. And I'll explain that further as we come to it. So the list, the warning, the those are our three main points. So let's look at the works. What, what are the, the works that, of the flesh that Paul lists for us? And, and what you can do is you can divide them into actually four categories. The first category of works of the flesh that Paul lists for us are sexual in nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. They go together. The immorality Paul is referring to here we would define as this way. Any unlawful sexual intercourse, anything that God in his word has said, that's out of bounds, that is not allowed, that is not permissible, anything, 
basically then any sexual intercourse outside of one's relationship to one's spouse to whom they are married is immorality. That work of the flesh, that delving out, whether it's immorality, fornication, whatever form, homosexuality, lesbianism, whatever form it takes, Paul is saying that is a work of the flesh. That is a desire of the flesh. Impurity includes not just the actions, not just includes the act of committing unlawful sexual intercourse, but it includes the words, the thoughts, and the desires. It includes the attitude of the mind. So it, it goes beyond the, the, in a sense, the legal definition, did you rob the bank, to did you even think about robbing the bank? And that would be the difference in terms of these sexual sins. Did you commit it, the actual act? Did you think about committing the act? Immorality, impurity, sensuality. The word that is used there is, is getting at the idea of that there are no restraints. There is no holding back. There is giving in to every impulse that comes across one's mind, one's heart, one's soul. That, that one is carried away by passion rather than being under self-control. That would be the, the flip side of it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control would be the opposite of what Paul has in mind here by sensuality, particularly in the sexual realm. Those are works of the flesh. That unbridled passion and pursuit to satisfy one sexually outside of the marriage relationship comes not from the Spirit comes not from Christianity, comes not from God, but is indeed a work of the flesh. The second category is in the area we would say of worship. Paul lists two things here. Idolatry, which is the actual bowing down and worship of other gods, and the practices that would be associated with that. Pretty applicable to these churches in Galatia to whom Paul is writing. Uh, where there are indeed pagan temples, these people, many of them that Paul is writing to, were Gentile pagans who have converted to Christianity. In the area of Galatia, it appears that there were very few people who were followers of Judaism who converted to Christianity during Paul's missionary journeys. Most of them were Gentiles. In other words, the, the, the change for them is not from synagogue, the worship of one God, where there are no images at all, to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was movement from pagan temples where there are all sorts of images and there's all sorts of gods and there's all sorts of temples to the worship of one God. Paul is saying, the continued involvement in idolatry and the worship of this multiplicity of gods is a work of the flesh and not of the spirit. To put that in practicality of today's society, 
Uh, it is not an evidence of the Spirit to go around with a bumper sticker that somehow makes the declaration of the fact that uh, I'm inclusive and, and I accept all religions for what they are. See how much the Holy Spirit's working within me? I've gotten away from this tight uh, view that only Christians are saved and, and my mind is expanded. See how spiritual I am. My guess is we could go to a number of churches within the Grand Rapids area, some not even that far from our location here, and find that attitude. See, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we think Hindus are going to go to heaven. We're filled with the Holy Spirit because we think Muslims are going to go to heaven. We're filled with the Holy Spirit because we believe in coexistence. That's not a mark of the Spirit, Paul is saying. That's idolatry. And idolatry is a work of the flesh, not a work of the Spirit. The second one that's coupled with that is sorcery. The, the Greek word that is used here is pharmakia, which, from which we get the idea, the word pharmacy. The, the sorcerer is the one who is the mixer of drugs. That's why the word pharmacy comes out of that. That's what a pharmacist do. He puts the, the drugs together in the bottle type of thing. But a sorcerer is one who is using that to achieve power for himself. He is saying there is a, a source of power that I desire to grab onto that comes not from God, but from some other source. We run into, in the book of Acts, for example, in the, in the work there early on, with a number of magicians who are seeking to buy the Holy Spirit because they see that the disciples have this great power and ability to heal, to drive out demons. And they're looking at their sorcery books going, how do they do that? Okay, I, I don't have that power. Can I buy that influence? So even by those actions, it's, it's an indication that's from another realm. It's from another source. Those who would seek to manipulate nature in such a way to try to gain power, Paul is saying that is a work of the flesh, not a fruit of the Spirit. Paul's longest list is the category that includes relationships. Within that, there are actually eight things that Paul mentions. I'll go over them briefly, from, and I'll use the ESV translation of the words, so some of you, if you have a different version, the words might change slightly in the list. The, the meaning, however, would certainly be the same. Paul lists enmity. Okay, well, what is that? It's the idea of quarreling out of hostility. It's the idea of, of having an argument because of hatred towards another individual. By the way, I should also add that the vast majority of these, if not all, are exactly what's going on in the churches of Galatia with the false teachers that Paul is taking to task. Those who have come and, and charged Paul with, with uh, being a heretic, a false teacher, a misleader. Paul now is saying, you know, these guys are operating out of a basis of the work of the flesh, enmity. They're, they're starting a quarrel with, with 
the, the, the gospel out of a hatred to me. They hate me. Therefore, they're beginning this quarrel. It's got nothing to do with right or wrong. It's got everything to do with the fact they just don't like Paul. That's enmity. The second one is strife. Another word we could use is contention. Everything's an argument. Yet you can't let anything pass without it becoming an argument. Nothing can just sit there. It, it always has to be countered in some way. Not in the sense of adding to or discussing, but it's always coming at things from a, from a contrary point of view. That comes not from the Spirit. That is a work of the sinful nature. It's sort of having a, a rebellious type attitude towards truth. Third is jealousy. A burning self-ambition to be the best. Not to do one's best for the glory of God. That's not, that's not that kind of jealousy. We'd call that zeal. Okay? That's in the positive realm, when we do the best which we can for the glory of God. This is for glory of self. This is, I am jealous because I want that, because I want to be the best. I want to be the highest. I want that possession. I want this. I want that. I want you to be without it so that I can have it. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Fiery flashes of rage that go on unchecked, unbridled. One would imagine that associated with those fits of anger, it's not, you know, just the, the old cartoon of the, of the guy, you know, who has smoke blowing out of his ears and whose face turns just this bitter, bright red. Sometimes that happens to individuals. You actually see the fit of rage. Brewing. Now, I don't think you see smoke coming out of their ears. That might be a new one. But you, you, you have the picture. But it's, it's the idea that there are words that are going to be expressed. Words you wouldn't normally use. Words you wouldn't normally say. Come just flowing out of the mouth. And you get, where from? Things that you say to your children, you should not say. Things that if you heard someone else say in the in, in any certain situation, you'd say, oh, man, that individual, they, they have a horrible mouth. But yet they come out of yours. Actions that you might not normally do, but your rage gets the best of you. That fit of rage comes not from the spirit. It's a work of the flesh. Rivalries. Seeking followers for the purpose of self-ambition. You can almost see those false teachers there in Galatia, right? Okay, they're, they're going through these churches trying to win people to their side. Why? For the sake of truth? No. For the sake of their own self-ambition. For the sake of their own popularity. Hey, you know, you, you probably ought to stop going to the Paul Bible study. You ought to come to our Bible study. Because, you know, ours is just a little bit better. It, it's that idea of, of trying to, to set up a rivalry against someone... For the purpose, not of truth, but for the purpose of self-glory. Dissensions. The idea of separating into groups, thinking that you are better than others. Out of hatred and out of hostility. 
when we were in school, we used to call them cliques. They still exist. They still exist in the church. People who think they're a little bit better than the rest, and they kind of look down their noses at others, Paul is saying that attitude toward other fellow Christians is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not an idea of somehow I'm holier than you because I'm better than you, I'm more noble than you, I'm more truthful than you, and everything else. Paul says, that doesn't come from the Spirit. That's the way the flesh operates. Divisions. The aligning to different groups out of hatred for others. You see how many times Paul is, is just coming back to the same idea in regards to this. Or the idea of envy. The idea of envy is the, is the, the root word that, that comes to us out of the Greek is the idea of to waste away. That it just, it, it, it's a jealousy that eats away at your gut. One commentator said, it's that which Cain has towards Abel. He, he has an envy, and it's just eaten away. The fact that he sees that, that Abel's sacrifice is accepted, and his isn't, he just can't let go of it. And it just eats away and eats away. He wastes away. That comes not from the Spirit. That comes from the flesh. So we can look at these and we can say, okay, so there are these four categories. These are the things that Paul is saying are the works of the flesh. And those works of the flesh are opposed to the work of the Spirit. Now, if we say we have not sinned, we lie and the truth is not in us. So once again, let me emphasize the point here is not to think about, well, who matches that description? Who does that fit? But to think, does that fit me? Is that me? Do I fit that description? Are there things in my life that evidence those works of the flesh? But just in case any one of us is going, you know, I think I do pretty good on all of them. I think I do, then I'd call your attention to verse 21. Paul adds, and things like these. And of course, I just remembered I didn't get the fourth category, right? Self-control. Paul lists two there. Two. Drunkenness, by which he means drinking bouts and binges, that which is just becomes drink after drink after drink until one is no longer aware of one's surroundings. One has become drunk. One has become inebriated. This not by mistake. This not by error. As perhaps we'd give Noah a slight wave on. But this is intentional. Going to go to the bar tonight, going to get hammered. I'm going to drink that whole fifth that's up in the cupboard. 
I'm going to go to the, the party store, and I'm going to buy this 24-pack, and I'm going to down the whole thing. I'm just going to drink my way through the weekend. It's all I'm going to do. That is a work of the flesh. It's not the work of the Spirit. Now, there's spirits at work, but it's not the same kind of spirit that is at work. So that drunkenness. And then our ESV adds orgies. And, and we might think that that has to do more with the sexual realm, but, but as Paul is thinking about it here, he's thinking more about the festivities that have to do with the worship of these pagan gods, where they would go on these partying ramps. It's, it's an unfrenzied, uncontrolled party attitude and mentality. That comes not from the Spirit. That's not the Spirit's work in our heart and in our life. That is the work of the flesh. Now we go down to the last there. And things like these. In other words, this is not meant to be exhaustive. This is not like, well, let me list every single work of the flesh that I can. It's not a complete list. Things like these. One only has to consult other passages of Scripture. Uh, there's, a, there's a list in Ephesians. There's a list in 1 Corinthians. There's the list that occurs in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, where greed and theft and murderers are left out of this list, but they're included in the Revelations list. So is Paul saying somebody who doesn't have greed is not a work of the flesh? Of course not. Paul would agree to that. That's why he says, and the such. Those who are involved in these kinds of activities, this comes not from the Spirit. This is a work of the flesh. And then notice what follows. Verse 21. If you still have your scriptures open. I warn you. As I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the same way it's phrased in Corinthians. It's the same way it's phrased in, in Ephesians. It's the same way it's phrased in Revelation. Of the fact that those who do such things never enter the kingdom of God. I want you to note that Paul says, this is not the first time I've told you this. I warn you as I've warned you before. Paul's missionary work then amongst these people was one not only of the gospel in the sense of bringing them to Christ, but it was also of gratitude of how do you live as a Christian. So these things that Paul is dealing with here in this fifth chapter, he's dealt with before. He's talked to them about this before. Therefore, it's, I warn you as I warn you before. They'll not enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Will not receive salvation. Will not receive eternal life. That is a very stiff warning, is it not? One commentator put it this way. You can never earn your way into heaven, but you certainly work your way out of it. 
Now, we disagree with the theology of that, but, but there is a certain aspect of that in which we, we, we need to take hold of, right? I can never work my way in there, but certainly these lists and Paul's warning comes to me as a reminder there's the possibility they may keep me from. In fact, it's the real possibility. So how do we understand this? That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You ever been a Christian and have a fit of rage? You ever been a Christian and been jealous? Since the time in which you were born again. You ever had an impure sexual thought? Since the time that, that you were born again, have you ever had a hateful thought towards another person? Since the time that you were born again, have you ever coveted, ever sent the greed? Ever got involved in a heated argument and you were really, really angry? Well, let's end it right here. You're not a Christian. And you'll never enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. Those who do, you did. Right? Those who do such things shall never enter the kingdom of God. You did it. You'll never enter. We go, I think there's something else that needs to be said here, isn't there? Yeah. There certainly is. Those who do. What does Paul mean by that? What, is that? what does that word mean as Paul states it here? Those who do such things. Those who, well, we would say those who practice. Those who routinely, those who habitually. Think of the person, for example, who wants to excel and someday play the flute for the New York Symphony. Think of that individual. That's their goal in life. You know what they're going to do? They're going to practice, and they're going to practice, and they're going to practice, and they're going to practice. Mom and dad don't have to say to them, have you put in your hour of practice? They do it. They desire to do it. They can't actually wait to get out the instrument and start playing. They can't wait for the next complicated piece of music so that they can spend more time practicing. They love to practice. They love the enjoyment of playing that music. They love the enjoyment of that instrument. And they look forward to the day, they long for the day, when they might make a living playing that flute. And that's all that they would have to be concerned about. That they'd have to be concerned about nothing else. See, now think about that person's practice. That person's habit. That person's routine. All of life centers around that. Or let me give you another illustration. 
uh, in, a, in a few weeks, uh, come February, uh, we're, we're going to start uh, being broadcast the Olympics. And, and you're going to have these little snippets of, of this individual. And, and you're going to watch that individual and you're going to go, they get up at 4 o'clock every morning just to go ice skating? And we're going to say, are they crazy? No, we'd say they're dedicated. They're committed. They're going to practice. And they practice before school. They practice after school. They practice weekends. They practice every single moment they can because they're dedicated to the one goal. They want to go to the Olympics, and they want to win a gold medal. Those who do, those who set their life's goal, those who set their ambition, those who, who give unbridled access to their sinful nature to operate. Those who create circumstances and situations so that their sinful nature can make hay, so that their sinful nature can practice. They look for opportunities of drunkenness. They look for opportunities of sexual immorality. They look for opportunities of fits of rage. They look for opportunities to quarrel. They look for strife. They look for greed. And they practice it and they love it and they enjoy it. And they find satisfaction in it. And when they are done, they say, when next? Well, this weekend was done so quickly. I can't wait till next Friday night when I can get drunk again. I can't wait for the next time of immorality. I can't wait for the next time. There is this unchecked, unbridled desire. Those who do such things. See, this is what Paul is after. Without a sense of repentance, without a sense of remorse, without a sense of understanding this is sin, this is wrong. I should not have done this. This is wrong. Lord, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. Lord, keep me from that sin. Lord, help me by your power, by your strength to refrain from this sin again. And if somebody says, hey, you were drunk last week. You go, yeah, that was great. No. You go, yes, and it was sin. It was wrong. I should not have done so. Boy, you really blew a cork at your kid the other day. Yeah, he deserved it. No, it's Lord, I sin. See, therein lies the difference. It's not that we're going to go through life, my friends, never committing any one of these sins. And as soon as we do, we have all this guilt, all this guilt just with waves overflowing us. We're going to sin. Whoever is without sin is a liar, and the truth of God is not in him. But we must see it as sin. We must acknowledge it as sin. We must not excuse it away. See, the person who is born again, the person who has the Spirit of God, hmm, commits adultery with Bathsheba and murders her husband and lives his quiet, contented life. Life is great, I'm the king of Israel. Until someone says, David, 
what you did was sin. And David says, I have sinned. He doesn't say, yeah, that was really great, wasn't it? man of the spirit and when he's confronted with his sin there's the acknowledgement of that sin does David's life live perfectly after that no way but you see the spirit contends fights wages war against that sinful nature and it drives us to Christ it doesn't drive us to our own feeble efforts. It drives us to Christ. Does that take away from the truth of what Paul said? No. What Paul is saying is there is no second opportunity here. There's no living life to the flesh. And then after you die, you get another opportunity to redo you get another opportunity to restart. This is it. And only by grace, only by God's work of granting you his spirit and his heart and in his life do we come to the point of acknowledging our sin. So that as, as we hear throughout scripture, it follows here. Repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from sin. Confess it as sin. Acknowledge it as sin. Repent. Strive. Strive against that sin. And not just the list here. Whatever it is that you have to turn to God and say, Lord, I've sinned today. Lord, I sin. Had a discussion with a gentleman in the course of this week who said when he was a kid growing up um, and, and he and his friends would get together, his, his friend would oftentimes say, well, only committed one sin today. <laughs> and he always kind of marveled and thought, how does he know he only committed one? I said to him, I, in our discussion, I said, you know, the, the part of age and wisdom, we, we come to, you know, at one point in our life, we're probably, wow, he only committed one sin, pretty good, pretty good, doing well. I said, you know, given some age and wisdom and some white hair, I, I think a good comeback would have been, and now you just committed two because you lied. And if you think you only committed two, you lied against, so now you got a third. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't commit just one sin in a day, do we? We have a sinful nature that wages war against the Spirit. But it's the Spirit as well that's waging war. For the good that I would not, that I do. And the evil that I hate, that I do. And the good that I would, I don't do. Wretched man that I am, who can rescue me? Thanks be to God. See, he doesn't leave me here. He rescues me. That's why I want you to go down, okay? Because you got, you got to couple this, okay? I warn you, 
as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong. That's why I called attention to that in the, in the song before the throne of God above. Those who belong, those who are united to Christ, those who are in Christ. You say, how does that occur? When we turn to Christ and say, you and you alone are the only means of my salvation. I am a sinner and I can be saved only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Turn in your Bible, if you still have it open, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can one who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized, what's your phrase? Into his death. If I am in Christ, if I have the name of Christ upon me, what happens? was baptized into his death. That's what Paul means when he says those who belong to him have crucified. See, folks, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work for Bob Van Manen to grapple with one of these sins and Bob Van Manen's going to really crucify it. He's going to take that sin and he's going to nail it to the cross. What's the problem with that? Then I'm getting rid of my own sin. Folks, that can never be. That's the point of Christ. All my sin was nailed to that cross in Christ. He paid it all. He was crucified for my sin. See, that sin, that work of the flesh that still roils, that still comes out in my heart and in my life and in my mind and my flesh, that sin Christ crucified. He died for it. It's not that I have to do something. He did it. I need to accept the reality of it, that that sin is dead. That Christ conquered that. And I'm not to seek to resuscitate it. See, it's the difference between looking at these things as something that I now need to conquer. And looking at it and saying, it's already been conquered in Christ. Now I need to live in the victory of it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Fruit of the Spirit. For we have been united with him in a death like his. Like his. How was his death? A crucifixion. 
we've been united with him in that crucifixion. Our sinful nature was crucified in Christ. See, that's what happens to us as believers. That's the joy. That's why Paul is just beside himself when he thinks about these false teachers there in Galatia trying to tell these people, no, it's by your works, it's by your actions. That's what will get rid of sin. The focus all becomes self, but it doesn't become Christ. You see, it does reach. Am I in Christ? Not am I, not is my family in Christ? Not were my parents in Christ? Not am I culturally in Christ? Not am I church-wise in Christ, where everybody thinks I am, but am I? Am I? Have I really been before the throne of God acknowledging my sin, these sins, as sin, plus all the other things? That are sin in my life and in my heart. Have I been there? Confess them as sin and acknowledge that in Christ, in Christ alone, am I going to find salvation? And that in Christ and in Christ alone, I will find victory. But the Lord graciously does not leave us in some void. Gives to us his spirit. A spirit that is there to wage war against my flesh. Right, we'll look at that. Which the Lord graciously provides to you and I in our battle, in our struggle against our flesh. Now, those who are in Christ have crucified that sinful nature. Thanks be to God, he gives me the victory in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Amen? And amen. Father, we do thank you for your word, for the rich provisions of it. Even for this hard and difficult text that, that Father, drives us to see ourselves reflected in a mirror. A mirror, Father, that reflects a sinful nature. That reflects the works of the flesh. And yet, Father, a mirror that graciously shows a new creature in Christ. One wrought by the work of the Spirit. Where there is, Father, fruit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Oh, Father, we thank you for the victory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. God's people again say, Amen.